our Sunday show here at Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio. We are the home of two shows, actually, Progressive News Network with me, Janine Maloff, the producer and host, as well as EJR, or the Environmental Justice Report. Now, this week was a little more difficult getting a show together. Uh, as you know, last week we had a very important um, broadcast ready to go. Uh, my colleague and the founder of this uh, particular network, Rick Spizak, had a wonderful, an absolutely wonderful and, and enlightening uh, interview with Professor Wendy Lynn Lee. And this was about whether or not, how did the FBI and other law enforcement agencies miss the obvious dangerous insurrection being planned in plain sight, you know, leading up to, you know, January 6th when the whole world saw the fascism of the GOP. And then how did the Supreme Court enable this insurrection? So they're going to talk about that. Now, we tried to run it last week, and I honestly don't know why, but something was wrong with the file. It wouldn't run. Keep your fingers crossed that it runs this week. Otherwise, I don't know what I'm going to do. All right. So that is going to be actually our first story. Now, the actual title for this week's broadcast is uh, PNN with Janine Moloff, GOP War on Woke Violates First Amendment. Okay, because it does. All right. And the second story is going to deal with my discussion about this war on woke and the implications it has for basically a premeditated uh, attack on the First Amendment. So I'll be discussing how Alabama Governor Kay Ivey fired a top education official over a, I think it was an in-service training manual that mentioned white privilege and systemic structural racism, as well as some other topics that cultural conservatives, stop calling conservatives, call them cultural bigots, don't want to hear. Ironically, Ivy was a teacher before she went into politics, and God, what a what a, a dark stain KIV leaves on that profession. As a fellow teacher, she never should have been allowed into the profession. That's my own opinion. This was an illegitimate firing, but it's the latest salvo in, the again, this organized attack, not only on democracy itself, but also on specifically on the parts of the First Amendment that cultural bigots don't like. Notice, the GOP and these cultural warriors they will embrace, you know, part of the First Amendment that talks about religious liberty, as they call it. Now, mind you, at the same time, they will ignore clearly that, yes, yes, Virginia, there is a separation of church and state. It's called the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. And it says the government cannot establish or favor any one religion, but it can't prevent people from uh, worshiping either. All right, there's that wall right there in plain sight. But that seems to be about the only part of the First Amendment these people like. Now, they are okay with freedom of peaceable assembly as long as it's their side. But when the left starts coming around, then all of a sudden they scream bloody murder. Now, the latest idiotic attack came from a group of Republican attorney generals including our, my own Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. Uh, these were they, these attor Republican Attorney Generals got together 
and they crafted a letter where they threatened to sue Target stores over their Pride merchandise. Now, the fact that this tactic is an egregious abuse of power doesn't bother Republican AGs like Mr. Bailey because, as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion, Chris, uh, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey lives for white Christian nationalistic fascism. Boom. It's my opinion. I'm entitled to say it. And, yes, I do have proof. Now, I'm also going to talk about how citizens peaceably protesting questionable projects using public money, such as Atlanta's Cop City, are being arrested, a few of them even murdered. Um, Brit Media is normalizing hate speech, it appears, coming from groups like Moms for Liberty, while those on the left are being violently arrested or otherwise threatened and abused for, what, daring to use their First Amendment free speech, free press rights. I'm going to talk about how publicly elected representatives are being expelled from office by the Republican opposition for daring to speak the truth and question the MAGA agenda. And we're going to talk about the Tennessee Three again. Uh, and while we're going to go into the fact that while DeSantis and, and really Trump claim this is a war on woke, make no mistake about it, this is a war on the First Amendment. This is a war on free speech, free press, the right of peaceable assembly, the right to petition your government for redress of grievances. It's all of that. And what they want to replace it with is privilege for the people that, you know, count, which to them, which are white, Christian, nationalist, fascist, period. Make no mistake about it. So today I'm going to discuss those attacks on the First Amendment sponsored by the GOP of Trump and DeSantis. Let's, and really, sponsored by the GOP, let's be honest here, of the Federalist Society, of the Heritage Foundation, people like Charles Koch that fund these things, you know, in general, there's, there's no guesswork here. All right, so we're also, if we have time, we're going to have our little feature, My Little Margie. Looks like Margie's in trouble now. Apparently, she doesn't play well with other fascists. I guess she wanted to be lead fascist. I don't know. But we will talk about our our precious little, you know, Neanderthal gal in that segment. So with no further ado, I am going to go to, hopefully, this is going to play. I'm praying it does. This is uh, Professor Wendy Lynn Lee's interview with Rick Spizak uh, regarding, you know, what happened, what was the breakdown in law enforcement that they failed to not only see, but they failed to react to the insurrection being plotted in plain sight. Uh, there's two files here, so kind of bear with me. Hopefully one of them will play. And here we go. Please work. Uh, ladies right. and gentlemen, I would like to present Professor Wendy Lynn Lee of Looms. Bloomsburg University in Pennsylvania, uh, a person who has spent a career teaching philosophy and educating both undergrads and grad students uh, to discuss, to understand, to analyze the philosophies of their day, of their life, of their, of their own personal life. Um, you have understood and studied philosophy for a long time and its application both in medicine and in other professions. Um, professor, I, I really want to ask you, when you see this curious phenomena where uh, a person who has 
multiple indictments, is under judicial review for from personal assaults to crimes against the country, uh, against uh, the very concept of secrecy. Um, and yet this person is still attractive to some people as a political force. What I'm sure you've thought about it once or twice. Uh, what, what do you think keeps this person important to an important fraction of the American voting public? Yeah, so I don't, I don't think there's any one easy answer to that question. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a, a really complex, um, you know, kind of bitter cocktail of a lot of different factors. Um, the, the failure of public education in the United States to teach um, civics, um, to teach, you know, um, kids about the, both the political and the civic and the judicial processes that are essential to a democratic republic. I think, I think that sometimes I put it this way, it's as if some part of the country has been Jerry Springerized. Wow. Yeah, does that make sense? You know, yeah. when I see the adoring throngs at a, at a Trump rally, it's kind of like watching an episode of Jerry Springer, um, where I see these people who I, I am sure in their, in their, their personal lives can be decent, charitable, compassionate human beings. Right. But at the same time, exhibit this just staggering level of ignorance, um, political ignorance, moral ignorance, um, you know, ignorance about geography, about, you know, the layout of the world, the existence of other countries, right? the differences in political systems of governance um, and the ignorance is so, is so deep going and at some point willful that I can only come to describe the adoration of this candidate for president. Oh my God. <laughs> as a cult. I think that this is the classic, right? I don't mean that in a hyperbolic way. Right. This MAGA is is a cult following. And I think we see examples of it. We could go back to Mussolini. We could go back, we could go back to Paul Pot. We could certainly go back to, you know, 1938 Germany. And we see the same kinds of dynamics at work. And I think that there are economic forces here too. Um, people, especially people who have, who either are or who have been convinced that they are the mostly white, almost entirely white, but, but working classes in places like coal mines of West Virginia, you know, the, the, the frack pads of Pennsylvania, right? Who feeling disenfranchised. Right, and, and as if they're uh, owed 
owed something. And, and, and in some ways there's truth in that and in other ways there's not. Um, that, that's part of what makes it so complex. But, you know, they're, they're just kind of ripe um, to become, um, you know, um, cult followers. They're, they're just ripe to become followers of a charismatic figure like a Trump, right, or a Ron DeSantis. And I think that's it, right? I, I, any of the other candidates, all of whom are going to make it easier for Trump to actually get the nomination, just maybe Chris Christie, eh, but, you know, I just don't think they have, like, the, the, the charisma. And I'm not saying, just to be super clear, that Ron DeSantis has charisma. Like, don't get me wrong about that. <laughs> no, there's no charisma there. And yet, he evinces the same kind of message. I, I think he will lose to Trump. I think, as, you know, if we, if we had the nomination today, I think, it, I think it would be Trump. And I just, like, don't know what country I'm living in. Well, you know, in in popular psychology, if there is such a thing, you know, in the in the 1800s and 1900s, there were you know the traveling freak shows where they dragged around the, the you know the bearded woman and all that stuff. So I mean, there's a, there's a part of that that's the same thing as uh, you know staring at the accident, looking for the blood kind of thinking. I think they really want to see the gruesome, they want to see the insults, they want to see the hysterics. And, and uh, you know, we see time and time again where when people do show up for a Trump event, a lot of times they leave 15 minutes in, half an hour, because they're not seeing the red meat, the, the insults that they really deeply right. desire. The other thing I want to ask you right off the top, and I, I, I'm happy for you to go on, is I think the judicial philosophy, legal philosophy, has really come under a lot of scrutiny because while many of us would like to believe firmly that there is one law for all, it is so out on display that there are at least two tiers to our judicial system. One, if you're black, poor, working class, and a totally different one. You know, I wonder why it's so hard to prosecute white collar crime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you think of, um, you know, like uh, uh, figures like Reality Winner. Oh my right? God. You know, in comparison, um, she's, you know, working, see, working class roots, female, right, low on the totem pole with respect to prestige and access, right, that, you know, that she does years for similar but far lesser, right, much, much more diminutive sort of crime that, you know, than, than Trump, who we may see, you know, it's, I'll believe it when I see it, um, you know, maybe, I, I think we've seen, I'm pleasantly surprised that we've seen more than I expected um you know from from this department of justice thanks to jack smith who does really seem to mean business and i'm grateful for that but it's it, when the MAGA cult folks talk about the two-tier justice system right what they mean <laughs> is not what we mean right right what we mean right has a long history and a history a history of exactly 
the kinds of um, institutions like slavery that folks like Ron DeSantis want to just, you know, erase from education, dumbing it down even more than it already is. Right, right. right. Yes, there is a two-tier system, right? One tier that involves, you know, the prison industrial complex, right, that involves politics that are clearly racist, anti-Semitic, sexist, anti-Muslim, God knows, anti-gay, right? And then a justice system that the the hard right in the house right are are arguing should be for characters like trump right who they want to argue is somehow being treated unjustly because Mm -hmm. what do they really mean because white wealthy men do in fact deserve a pass you know the irony of it is just um staggering yeah yeah one of the one of the (laughs) One of the terms that I wanted to discuss with you uh, is virtue signaling, which I find a most curious, curious term. More revealing, I think, than it intends. Because if you reflect on it for a minute, and I, I, I recently wrote on the subject, but virtue signaling, which, which is intended to imply a fake value, uh, a, a offering of an insult in the guise of trying to be a better person. But mm-hmm. the question I raise is, if, if you're saying talk nice, be nice is a bad thing, what's your alternative? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's like, of course I want to be woke. Why would you want to be anything else? What, does, what is on the other side of that? Unconsciousness? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, you're either awake or you're not, right? You're, you either aspire to be a genuinely virtuous human being or not. <laughs> but I find so much of that, um, it's gaslighting, right? The intention, I think, ultimately behind some of that is to is to gaslight us to do nothing, right? To, 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 you know, oh, I don't want to be seen as woke, so, but I don't understand the alternative, so I'm just going to stop here. It, you know, and it stops us from, from actually acting, from, from doing what deep in our gut we actually know is right, right? Being woke, of course, is what we ought to want to be. Right? And being virtuous is, of course, what we assume that we are. <laughs> I, I had the opportunity recently uh, to be exposed to a, a couple hours of right-wing radio. And Ew. some of the issues that they raise, I just found so amazing. For example, Black Lives Matter is seen as some kind of access key. It, it, it seems as somehow... It runs against the grain of of justice, and and I had to have to say, you know, if if honoring and respecting a group's right to exist, if that's a problem for you, what the hell are your values? Uh, well, you're being awfully woke right now. <laughs> yeah. 
Let's just get that on the table. I'm trying. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, what I regard as this sort of crazy town characters like Candace Owens, who, um, you know, who seems there's no day that she doesn't have um, Black Lives Matter, you know, in her sights on her Twitter feed. Yeah, when she's not going after some Hollywood actor or actress, um, you know, and the and the the arguments are so um, they're like this pastiche of dog whistles, right? That you know these are Marxist, right? Not that Candace Owens has any idea what that means, right? Or 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 communist, right? Or as my dad used to put it, communist. <laughs> you know, um, you know, or you know, terrorist. You know, but it, it's the the idea seems to be that if you just bead together enough dog whistles, right, to to terrorize your audience, right, to scare oh communists, right, we don't want that, right. If that's what it is to be woke, right, oh we don't want any of that. Then you know, you just you just keep your audience sort of frozen in in fear right or anxiety at least right and i think that's the ultimate goal there is to get your audience to just do nothing until they get the the signal that they're supposed to go to a trump rally and then they just you know get in their 1985 minivan and drive there you know i i wonder and and it was brought to the my attention just so clearly you know, we heard recently uh, the revelation that the FBI was dragging its feet. They didn't want to investigate this former president. And you have to say, I think, what part of fair is that? You know, bending over backwards to avoid the, you know, what do they have to do? March on the Capitol? Excuse me, they did. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just having having been a child, a small child in the 1960s and a teenager in the 1970s, right, I can appreciate suspicion of the FBI. Oh, absolutely. Even, maybe even more so the CIA, right, and the Department of Justice. Like, I, I get that that impulse, that, that, you know, inclination, that, that's sort of, I think, part of my, you know, political DNA growing up. Right. But the thing is, and, you know, this is maybe just one of the most important things that comes from philosophy, right, or just from logic, is you have to examine the assumptions going into the judgment that there's a two-tier system of justice or that the FBI is suspect or that, you know, they, that there were or weren't reasons for them dragging their feet, right? No, they, they shouldn't have been dragging their feet, right? Yes, we have, we sometimes have good reasons to be critical about the FBI, about any of these agencies. Yes, of course we should, but we have to be able to give reasons why right, we're critical or suspicious or untrusting, unlike, say, Lauren Boebert yesterday <laughs> right, in the House, you know, who I think, 
think I think the I think the appropriate word here is idiotically, <laughs> right? Somehow, you know, gets a floor vote on the impeachment of Biden, right? And the so-called Biden crime family for which she can provide no reason, no evidence, no substance. You know, and that's just part of what so seems to me to be so deeply missing in a lot of our political discourse right now, especially sometimes on the left, but it's just particularly on the right and on the far right, that we we don't examine, right? We, we don't do what Socrates tells us to do, right? And examine, examine, examine our assumptions to see whether or not they have evidential support. It's like, we don't care about truth, right? And no democracy can survive that. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was having a discussion uh, and the, the subject very much along the lines of what you were just saying was that, okay, media has been shown to be corrupt, therefore turn off all media. And, and I said, you have to look closer. You have to understand the biases of the media. Why do they do this stuff? Why did we get hour after hour after hour of coverage of four people dying in a crushed submarine versus yep. the hundreds, the thousands who are washing up on the shores of the Mediterranean yep. or on, in the Mexican, Texas border area, you know, yes, there are biases in the media. There are reasons why it is, but you can't hide your eyes because there is important information out there. To be a citizen, you have to understand national policy. You have to understand international policy if you want to weigh in. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, don't tell me about big government. If you're not participating in we the people, then you don't, then you don't have a voice in that argument. There is no, there is no point. You are not participating, so don't tell me it doesn't include your opinion if you refuse to give your opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have, I have watched with some real attention the obsessive um, time given to, you know, four wealthy white guys and and a kid, right, a 19-year-old kid, um, you know, who all die on a vessel that it seems pretty clear should not have been making this dive, right? I mean, it seems like this is what we're finding out, you know, and the gazillion of dollars spent on everything that revolves around finding them when, yeah, exactly, right? We have bodies washing up on the shores of the Mediterranean and nobody cares, right? Well, it, you know, I care, right? But not, but not enough of us care, right? And not enough of us are screaming loud enough. But don't, none of none of these facts or these um, just really um, troubling juxtapositions, right, between right the Titan, right, and and the refugees. None of these mean that we shouldn't be watching. It means that we should be watching more closely. Yeah. more carefully yeah. uh, and that we should be re we should read <laughs> you know more widely more broadly right I don't always agree with 
um, Andreas Malm about how to blow up a pipeline, but I read it and I read it carefully and I think it through. Um, um, and you know, that's that we use the ooh, it's the media as just a pass, um, an excuse to, to do nothing. Right, to just kind of stay in the little silos, the little bubbles of our little private lives. That too is how democracy dies. Yeah, I, I have stressed to those conservatives that I speak to that your participation is what makes the equation we the people. And if you label big government or, or governments the enemy or government, you know, that old horrible Reaganism, uh, we're from the government, we want to help you, is a bad thing. Uh, you know, if you're starting from that premise, yes, everything looks bad. I understand that. You know, you'll never hear me say, oh, my God, the FBI is perfect. Oh, my God, the media is perfect. I don't say that because I don't believe that. I've sure. seen plenty. I mean, let's ask Dr. King if we could, Junior. You know, what does he think about corruption in the FBI? I think he would have a case for that. You know. For John Lennon. John Lennon. <laughs> Yeah. No. Of course, but that that's not an out. That's right. That's right. Right? That's your invitation to thinking. Yeah, um we we learned for example that Supreme Court justice is okay when there's an open seat on a plane. And and that a justice of the Supreme Court would make such a curious argument. Just, you know, I, I won't say lessens the dignity of the court, but I guess I do. I do think it does. There's a lot going on on the Supreme Court that lessens the dignity of the court. Fishing trips, you know, there seem to be a lot of big boats going on there, right? The uh, you know, belonging to organizations, you know, that um, – I see women as, you know, reproductive livestock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not to mention the nasty you know, memorabilia. There are good reasons um, to be really scrutinizing of particular members of the court. Um, and I think that the court has, in its, you know, rightward shift, has, um, has, has lost some of its um, clearly lost some of it, its allure with respect to our belief in its objectivity. Um, and at the same time, I also think we have to distinguish between the court as a body and its individual members, right, like Alito, like Clarence Thomas, who seem to me to be clearly on the evidence that's corrupt. Yeah. I clearly thought. You know, I, I think people misunderstand the logic of the founders of this country, flawed as they were. They, they did not think that people would be perfect, therefore this would be easy. They never said that. And in many cases, not maybe not all, but many cases they allowed for the checks and balances because we have frail um, human beings who have flaws. And, and most of this stuff can be fixed if attention is paid, if energy and resources are brought to it. I think, I think right now it would be so difficult to teach history, to, to teach law, 
if if what we see on display falls so so horribly horribly short i mean yeah i mean this this is why we have the bill of rights and this is why we have all of the rest of the amendments right they correct um they correct mistakes they correct flaws they consider something that had not been you know on the plate at the time um and i don't think we can understand the substance the meaning of any of those amendments without some comprehension of the history of this country and particularly the fact however much we might may not want to see it that that history is rooted in 400 years of slavery and 10 million enslaved human beings right that feature of american history cannot be extracted without gross distortion and yet it is it is that right it is the um japanese internment camps it's the abuse of chinese immigrants and and the just egregious abuse just in the last few days reinforced by the supreme court of native americans in this country and native american reservation life um you know we we're a country that takes for granted that somehow reservations are still a good idea <laughs> and not to mention reservations that's without water reservations without rights reservations without voting franchise all of that stuff that falls without water rights exactly right? recently reinforced by the supreme court without water rights and and you you have particular reason to know that when environmentalists are seen as a bigger threat than people who storm the capital they are a higher priority you know i i have people who are surprised when i tell them when we first marched for the first earth day we were denounced as communists because yeah. we were standing up for the earth for the viability of the human habitat that was seen as somehow communist still is i think i think i think that i think that's still largely true um yeah i don't i don't even know that i have a lot to add. <laughs> the the i think there's i think there's this much to say i think we see less climate change denialism now than maybe we did five years ago or 10 years ago in the United States. But having said that, we still have these incredibly loud voices, right? In states like, say, Lauren Barber in Colorado, right? Um, uh, uh, in North and South Dakota, right? And, you know, part of Oregon's, you know, to become part of Idaho, <laughs> we, we still have these really loud voices for whom the hydrocarbon economy is, you know, the focus of their their understanding of freedom, right? And until we break that connection, right, that that somehow being energy independent, which is just a ludicrous notion on its face, is to be equated with being free and patriotic and truly American. You know, and I just don't see that going away anytime soon. But you know, until we break those links, 
you know, we're, we're still training off the station on our way to climate crisis catastrophe. Yeah, I wonder when we'll, we'll find uh, someone who will honestly say out loud that the petroleum industry is a welfare queen. Uh, yeah, and, and some of us have been saying that out loud, you know, for a long time, but, but you know, but nobody's listening. Yeah, you know, and we have, you know, like Joe Biden, right, who's in Cal- who was in California this week and talking about the climate and talking about environmental stuff, but still, you know, approves Willow, the pipeline, Willow Pipeline in Alaska, you know, on this ludicrous argument about energy independence, right, that he's now trying to connect to our support of Ukraine, right, and I, I get that part, but it's still a death sentence for humanity, right? I get it that, the, that they're not easy solutions here. And I, I, know, I understand why Ukraine has got to come out of this, right, as a democracy or as its own country, right? I'm, I'm, the Ukrainian flag is flying outside my window right here. I get, I get that. But mm, the cost of building another pipeline, right, to both humanity and let's not forget all of the species of non-human organism in that part of the world who will be compromised if not driven to extinction is it's just incalculable. Let me ask you this. Do you think that if they succeed in pushing uh, the former president's trial off uh, past election day, do you think there's any chance he'll ever see a courtroom? No. No, because he'll pardon himself, I assume. I, I mean, if I were in his position, <laughs> you know, I, I can't it's imagine the- being in his position, and I now feel a little dirty just thinking it. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but um, no, no. And I, I deeply do not trust uh, Eileen Cannon. And at the same time, my hope is that because she blew it so badly last time um, with respect to her own, I want my own special counsel stuff, um, my hope is that she knows that she's in the public spotlight and that her two recent decisions that seem to be trying to set some sort of timetable I hope she, I just hope that she's trying to save herself here. I hope she's trying to renovate her own reputation and that that will produce a conviction before we get to the elections. Uh, Speaking of climate change, because I I do want to go back to that. I I know you have real concerns and have been an activist for some time. Uh, I heard that yesterday there were temperatures uh, above 126 degrees in Texas. And people are literally dying from walking around on the street. And and yet we hear that uh, one of the congressmen weighed in with the fact that, hey, it's summertime, as an answer. And which is, I think, colorful, but but sort of misses Park. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, in Texas. We see natural disaster after natural disaster, right? And, and that's how I treat these these excessive heat events. They're going to get worse. We know they're going to get worse. 
right? And yet, you know, at least from Greg Abbott's point of view, the governor's point of view, the very idea that we would, you know, um, do do anything about hydrocarbon extraction, right, for a Texas economy that's clearly, you know, dependent and has been dependent forever on, uh, on you know, oil, the oil and gas industry, you know, it's suicidal at some point. I don't know what else to call it, right? It's just suicidal. Um, I have a close friend who lives in Houston and works for Chevron. Uh, and tries to, you know, justify that position wow. for what I regard as one of the uh, most violent human rights abusers in the world, right, Chevron. Uh, he's a safe, my friend is a safety engineer, right? And he, so as a safety engineer, right, he, I think he thinks that that, you know, justifies he's, his... He's working for the right side, yeah. Right, yeah, he's on the right side of Chevron, Right. Point out that there, maybe there's no right side <laughs> Chevron or Shell or Exxon. Uh, you know, he 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 bristles and always reverts to, but I need a job, which is of course what we hear, and I get that part right. Indeed, he does. Right, and that he what he's really evincing without I think knowing it is that we are held hostage in many ways. Yeah. To this what I now routinely refer to as kleptocratic capitalism, right? We, we accept capitalism. Um, and we can't excise ourselves from it, right? Because there's nothing, right? Including, say, a Zoom appointment, there's nothing we can do, sorry, um, that, um, that extricates ourselves from this economy, from the fossil fuel economy. Um, and until we find a way out of that, right, and I fear it is too late already, um, you know, this is not going to change it. It's just going to get hotter in Texas and everywhere else. I, I heard a lecture just before I left Florida that uh, was one of those um, pivotal moments for me anyway. Uh, a marine engineer, and, and, and this is the interesting thing, a marine engineer presenting a talk on climate change and its impact on Florida mm -hmm. must have said a dozen times in one hour, a dozen times he said, I'm not an environmentalist. I'm not an environmentalist. I'm not mm -hmm. an environmentalist. And, you know, other than the, the Shakespearean, uh, although the doubt protests too much, um, the thing that struck me from that conversation is that he was saying, please, I'm not a wild-eyed, wild, crazy green. I'm whoa. just an engineer. I'm not, whoa, please, don't, don't call me that. But, but the point that he was making about the data was that we are seeing such horrendous temperature rises in the ocean. And from what I understand, it is, it's even greater than what we have in the air. But these temperature changes are decimating the Gulf Stream because it was dependent on a temperature differential for this engine to continue to carry hot Caribbean South Atlantic waters north along the coast and deliver them to Europe. And he said, we're seeing it get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and there's going to be a collapse point. 
which of course is going to exacerbate weather conditions in the Caribbean and the South Atlantic. Sure. Not not even to get to the in in 50 years the water level is going up a you know a dozen feet. And and you know people seem to okay just another fact sort of react to that. And I was thinking, my God, the climate change that's going to occur from the collapse of the Gulf Stream, well, it's going to be memorable, that's for sure. And unpredictable, right? Some of those impacts, you know, maybe we will be able to make some prediction of some some of the short-term impacts, right? But we're not going to be able to predict, other than in general outline, the long-term impacts. Um, with respect to extinction, sea level rise, right, flooding in some places, desertification in others, you know, we we seem to be sufficiently arrogant (laughs) that we somehow think that we can either stay ahead of this or that we will be able to adapt to it, right? There was an op-ed in my local paper the other day um, about, about, um, how there might be some positive impacts from climate change, you know, and if we could just learn to adapt or ahead of the curve, right, that, you know, we, we can make a silk purse out of this south here. And I, I, I just like, re, I'm just reading this aghast because of the arrogance, the, the vanity invested in that, you know, as if we think that we're some crystal ball, right, or that we have some crystal ball that's going to tell us what to do, when to do it, you know, such that everything is going to be fine. I have been just um, a brutal critic of the word sustainability um, for years because we could imagine some point in the future where maybe, you know, after tons of death, after tons of calamity, the atmosphere where the, the planet becomes sustainable sustainable but sustainable doesn't mean desirable right sustainable could mean you know um this you know desolate planet that can support a tiny population right and whose species diversity you know is just largely wiped out right i mean a sustainable planet could be a planet that can support bacteria and that's about it, right? You know, the, the arrogance of thinking that that's going to be us, right? Like huge consumers, right? You can only survive, you know, in a certain sort of climate with a certain kind of amount of oxygen, yada, yada, yada. It's, it's just kind of stunning to me. And yet that's what you see in, in arguments that even when they're not overtly denialist are now a... Um, but we can adapt, right? And I'm seeing more and more of that. Oh, we're not denying it, right? But it's all going to be fine in the end. We just code. But it's all going to be fine for a while. For if you really, for the guys can, who can afford to go down two miles to look at the Titanic. Yes. It's going to be fine for a little while for them. But, you know, yesterday's lesson is even you guys blow up. Yeah. One last last question, if I may. I I so appreciate your time. Uh, When you talk to your students about the upcoming uh, election season, 
What suggestions do you make to make sure that they're discerning amidst the propaganda fog important yep. data points? Yep, so that's hard. You know, this is <laughs> Well, that's why I have a philosopher here. You know, these kids often come from very conservative families and Trumper families. Um, so I encourage them to, you know, register to vote. And then I try, you know, I put, um, you know, like website links up on the board about, you know, here, here are places where you can go to get um, fact checked, you know, legitimate information about and any and all of the candidates. And at some point, there's only so much I can do in a classroom without appearing partisan, right? In my classroom, right? I have to maintain right neutrality and objectivity. Right. If a kid right. comes to me in my office, right, that's a that's my space. That's a whole other <laughs> right. It's an office, right, with a poster in it that says abortion is a human right. <laughs> right? Then then it's a different thing. And then if they ask me, right, I don't usually raise it. I wait for them to ask me. Yeah. Um, they ask me, you know, what, who are you voting, voting for? I tell them who, and I tell them why. You know, you want to vote so that, like, you could be treated like a human being with your own, you know, bodily autonomy. Imagine that. I'm not livestock. And my Dr. daughter. Lee, thank you so very much for your time. It is always an honor and a pleasure to speak to you. You bet. And you have a lovely weekend. Thank you, my dear. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, ladies right. and gentlemen. Okay, so that was Rick Spizak's interview with Professor Wendy Lynn Lee. Now, I see that we have a caller, and this person from the 434 area code has been waiting, oh, gosh, almost 20 minutes. But here's the thing. We have a little over an hour left, and I have a lot of material to cover. And as I've said so many times before, if I decide to take comments or questions, it will not occur until the last 15 minutes, sometimes the last five minutes of the show. I'm not obligated to take comments. I'm not obligated to take any of it. Uh, there seems to be some confusion, and I've entertained a few people that have called in um, just trying to help out a little bit. But there seems to be some confusion here, and I think it deals with commenter culture, which isn't part of the discussion today, but I wanted to touch on it. And that is that, first, on a personal level, when I prepare these shows, even though I may be speaking in a very casual manner, I have thousands of words of documentation that I have gone through and outlined and read and considered i prepared. I'm not just shooting my mouth off. And frankly, I am sick and tired of the, you know, basically comments from the peanut gallery, whether it's in writing or calling into a show, because, of course, there are too many people that, in my opinion, that think they know more about a subject than they actually do without having done the actual hard work and study to be able to claim that they actually know something about the subject matter. So uh, I think this person, whoever it is, they're going to have a long wait. By the way, 
we pay. In other words, my colleague and I, we pay for this time. And I'm not going to allow someone to freeload off of it. Uh, I think that a lot of commenting culture really doesn't serve much use unless there's some rules to the discussion. And frankly, all it does serve is to derail legitimate discussion. So we're not going to have that. I'm just saying. So now going to get back to the discussion at hand. So, you know, last week, and I'm going to kind of scroll back up. I have a lot of material to cover, so kind of bear with me. I'm working on an old computer. <laughs> all right. So, all right, give me a second here, folks. All right, here we go. Okay. So last week, we talked about the danger posed not only by the GOP, and make no mistake, I'm not a fan of the traditional corporate Democrats either. You know, we had a, just to kind of little aside again, we had a caller last week, and he seemed like a nice enough gentleman, and maybe the same person calling again, I don't know. And, you know, he, you know, said, well, I gather you're kind of, you know, leaning towards left, and I said, no. I'm a flaming leftist, and I'm proud of it. And he kind of lumped being a progressive with being a Democrat. They are not the same thing at all, okay? There is, in my opinion, no room for true progressives in the Democratic Party that is sold out to corporate interest, all right? People like Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Bill Clinton, Hillary, these people are not progressives. And if they have any progressive opinions, it's usually the old bromide that they are culturally or, or on social issues more progressive, but they're conservative on fiscal issues. And they have this, this artificial dividing line between fiscal or money issues, dealing with pay and the expense of living, etc., and purely what they call social issues. You know, things like the right to control your own bodily autonomy if you're a woman, of childbearing years, um, free speech, things like that. Well, it's an artificial separation. I would add that fiscal issues, such as the right to a living wage, such as the right, the human right to health care without having to go bankrupt, uh, such as some accountability on big corporations, such as environmental rights to clean air and clean water and not to be poisoned by radioactive contaminants, all these fiscal or money issues are social issues. And I apologize if I sound like I'm yelling. I don't mean to do that. But I'm not going to play that game. And anybody that thinks I am, well, you're in for a very rude awakening. Because to put it in vernacular of the streets, baby, that ain't going to happen. All right? And there's a lot of misinformation out there. As a progressive, no, I'm not necessarily a socialist. I'm not a communist. Um, but again, if you truly have free speech rights, then you cannot punish or threaten to imprison someone because they do have those, those opinions. That's not how the First Amendment works at all. And so, once again, a lot of misinformation out there, and I'm really sick of it, frankly. Um, the ignorance out there is only surpassed by the bigotry and stupidity of far too many Americans, in my opinion. Um, you know, once again, it's my opinion. I'm entitled to it. And the fact is, as a progressive, I can tell you, 
I'm not going to be as nice as my colleague, Rex Pizak. All right? And I can't afford to be. Uh, I am part Hispanic. I am a feminist woman, and I am a Jew. And because of that, I don't have any extra privilege to go around. So, frankly, um, I'm not going to be as nice about it. Uh, if someone tries to slander, libel, or defame me, they're going to be on the receiving end of a lawsuit. That's it. You know, personally, I don't know why big organizations, not just the ACLU, but the teachers' uh, unions, I don't know why they're not suing these cultural conservatives that are calling teachers groomers and pedophiles. They should be suing them. Okay? Free speech also comes with responsibilities. Just does. Okay, and we're going to get into that. So let's move on here. There's my, my bromide. So as I said early in the show, before Rick's interview with Professor Wendy Lee, um, and for those of you that are in, really interested in it, Professor Lee uh, is not only a philosopher, but she's really delved into environmental issues, feminist issues, social and economic justice, and animal rights issues. She's published approximately 45 scholarly essays in her areas of expertise, including the philosophy of language, uh, philosophy of mind-brain, feminist theory, theory of sexual identity, post-Marxian theory, non-human animal welfare, ecological aesthetics, aesthetic phenomenology, I can't say this word, phenomenology and philosophy of ecology. Her most recent book is Echo Nihilism, the Philosophical Geopolitics of the Climate Change Apocalypse. It was published in 2017. Okay, just so you know a little something about it. Now, let's look at the full litany of what I call creeping fascism coming to us all from the ranks of white Christian nationalists. So, as I said in the headline, the war on, wo- the war on woke is war against the First Amendment, specific aspects of the First Amendment, namely free speech, free press, the right to peaceable assembly, and the right to uh, petition the government for redress of grievances. The latest lunacy... There was a group, this is reported by CBS News, there was a group of Republican attorney generals, state attorney generals, including the Missouri attorney general, Andrew Bailey, and this is the latest salvo against the First Amendment, and once again, they're using the children as the excuse for fascistic censorship. This was published by CBS on July 7th, CBS News. Apparently, seven U.S. state attorney generals, they sent a letter to Target um, last week, And with this warning, really, I'd say a threat, that all the merchandise and clothes, et cetera, that have been sold under the company's Pride Month campaigns, quote, might violate their state's child protection laws. Now, the Republican attorney generals are from the following states, Indiana, Arkansas, Idaho, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, and South Carolina. And the quotes from the letter include that these guys were, quote, concerned by recent events involved in the com- involving the company's pride campaign, and end quote. And the attorneys believed the campaign was a, quote, comprehensive effort to promote gender and sexual identity among children, end quote. Okay, this is beyond stupid. I'll just say it. Um, they didn't like T-shirts that advertised drag queens. Um, they really didn't like a T-shirt that said, Girls, Gays, Bays. Okay. Uh, these attorney judges, apparently, they don't have enough to keep them busy. They've got to go after T-shirt 
purveyors. I don't know. Um, they did highlight merchandise also with, quote, anti-Christian designs such as pentagrams, horned skulls, and other satanic products, end quote. Now, I'm interjecting now. You know, forget the fact that the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment clearly states that the government may not endorse any particular religion, but they have a problem with what they consider anti-Christian designs. Well, you know, it's free speech. Tough. Now, the letter also criticized Target for donating to uh, an, an LGBTQ plus organization uh, whose main reason to exist is to end bullying in schools and end the bullying that's been based on sexual and gender identity. And the group is called Gilson, uh, G-L-S-E-N. Okay. So apparently these Republican attorney generals, including here in Missouri, Andrew Bailey, they have a problem with bullying in our schools. That's what it looks like to me. All right, I'm being sarcastic, but you get the drift. Um, now, the company explained they had a 2020 guide that school staff shouldn't tell parents. Okay. All right. So apparently in the letter, the attorney generals were complaining that Target had a 2020 guide that said school staff shouldn't, like, inform parents about a child's emerging gender or sexual orientation without talking to the child first. And the attorney general says that, quote, undermines, quote, parents' constitutional and statutory rights. All right. So here's the thing. I'm taught for 30 years, and I can tell you that, well, yes, when you're dealing with minor children, there are some areas that you need to be careful about. You just do. Um, but these guys are going way beyond that. Now, the letter, these these attorney generals, they, were being, they thought they were being really clever and cute. There were no specific demands, according to CBS, in the letter. And they didn't really talk about how they believed the campaign could violate alleged child protection laws. But there was a suggestion from these attorney generals that Target might find it, quote, more profitable to sell the type of pride that enshrines the love of the United States, end quote. Okay. And then uh, these attorney generals also uh, reminded Target that the, the corporation has, quote, a fiduciary duty to our states as shareholders in the company, and, and suggesting that the company might be negligent in that particular um, fiduciary duty if they keep pushing pride. Now, again, is this the business of state-level attorney generals? No, not at all. All right. If parents don't like the pride merchandise at Target, they can leave. I, I mean, the bottom line is this. It is a store open to the public. And I'm tired of these mommies, you know, trying to basically hamstring the rest of us because somehow their baby might see something. Well, parents might have rights, but they also have responsibilities. And that means perhaps these mommies should get off their lazy butts and actually monitor what their children are doing instead of seeking to basically restrict everybody else. Because in 30 years of teaching, I have seen, I know it's probably politically insane to say this, I've seen a lot of mommies who frankly don't know what their kids are doing. You know, they hand them a phone or a laptop and it is an electronic pacifier and boom, they don't have to deal with junior. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Um, 
But Target is also facing some problems because, it, and they removed some of the items in May after threats coming from the public. And they were, they faced criticism over some swimsuits after ad, advertised as, I don't know what this means, quote, tuck friendly. I have no idea what that means. Uh, with, quote, extra crotch coverage. This is goofy. All right. Um, so the attorney generals in their letter wrote, additionally wrote this, quote, Target's management has no duty to fill stores with objectionable goods, let alone endorse or feature them in attention-grabbing displays at the behest of radical activists. However, Target management does have fiduciary duties to its shareholders to prudently manage the company and act loyally in the company's best interest, end quote. Again, is this the business of state-level attorney generals? No. This is just basically an attempt to silence free speech, period. That's it. You know, these attorney generals are abusing their authority. You know, if this were, if some of the things they were objecting to were happening, say, okay, let's say in a kindergarten class, somebody came in and talked about, some things parents didn't want to hear or gave them sex ed or whatever. Eh, maybe. I still disagree, but maybe, let's say for argument's sake. But parents don't have to go into Target. And again, if they don't like it, they can leave. But these parents and these attorney generals have no right to censor the rest of us because the child might see something. Well, you know what? When I was a child, if something we were at a movie or something came on TV that was my parents decided was not appropriate, they told us to go in the other room. If there was something in the movie that was inappropriate, we left the movie. We didn't blame the movie theater. Okay? It's parents' job to determine whether something's appropriate, but these parents do not have the right to dictate to others. Okay? And, and it happens in everything. It's, it's gotten ridiculous. Now, there was this backlash to the Pride campaign. There were threats of violence to Target stores and workers, as documented again by CBS News. Keep in mind, the threats against Target stores, and especially against the workers, actually do represent simple assault, which these attorney generals should be concerned with. That is part of their duty. Okay? And so, anyway, Target set out a statement that included the following, quote, since introducing this year's collection, in other words, the Pride collection, we've experienced threats impacting our team members' sense of safety and well-being while at work. Given these volatile circumstances, we are making adjustments to our plans, including removing items that have been at the center of the most significant confrontational behavior, end quote. Now, this article, Amy Peachy contributed reporting, um, and it was also written by Carrie Breen. Keep in mind, it's not the business of a state-level attorney general to dictate what a store may put in their, on their shelves. If parents don't like it, they can leave. Okay? It's, the parents can't demand a Disneyfication of all of society because they don't want their kids to see, and they don't want to do the, these parents don't want to do the work of, you know, going without something themselves, so everybody should go without. 
take a little drink of water. So, but threats of violence, and again, this particular statement that Target left, that Target issued in a response, that they've experienced threats impacting our team members' sense of safety and well-being while at work, that is practically the legal dictionary definition of simple assault. And But these attorney generals are non, you know, they're, they're absent regarding that very real duty that they should be fulfilling. Make no mistake about it. Our caller's still there. You know, it's sweetie, it's not going to happen. Okay, unless you want to wait until five minutes till, because I'm going to get through as much of this as possible. We may not get through it all. Okay? So that's one example of what's happening. Another example of this attack on the First Amendment um, we've got Alabama Governor Kay Ivey. Now, she forced the, res- the resignation of Education Secretary over a woke pre-K book. Now, this is as reported by the Alabama Political Reporter. Um, the article is written by Jacob Holmes, and it was published this past April. Okay? So this is concerning, and I'm sure other people have lost their jobs too, but this is concerning Dr. Barbara Cooper, who was the secretary of the Alabama Department of Early Childhood Education. She resigned under pressure from Ivy for the inclusion of an alleged, quote, woke pre-K educator resource book in the state's curriculum. Now, mind you, a resource book isn't part of the curriculum. It's just for extra information. Um, So Ivy's office said that this, this was brought to her attention um, that the book included content, quote, that is simply not in line with what the Ivy administration or the people of Alabama stand for or believe, end quote. Apparently, Kay Ivy and the people of Alabama that she's referring to don't believe in the First Amendment. Now, Governor Ivy's office didn't name the book in the initial release, but there was a spokesperson for the governor's office that told the Alabama political reporter that the book in question is the National Association for the Education of Young Children Developmentally Appropriate Practice Book, 4th Edition. Now, it's designed as a resource for teachers. It's not, it's not given straight to students. But apparently, you know, these teachers in this group and Dr. Cooper were guilty of committing thought crimes. So, now... According to the release from Governor Ivey's office, this book, quote, invokes ideas for teachers that there are larger systemic forces that perpetuate systems of white privilege, or that, quote, the United States is built on systemic and structural racism. Yeah, duh. The United I have news for you, and here's the ironic part. Kay Ivey used to be an educator, and my God, what... What a, a, a disgrace to our field. Um, the truth, the historic truth is that the United States and the wealth of the United States is built on systemic and structural racism. Boom. White privilege means that basically if you are white and you don't look the slightest bit ethnic, you can go about your business and the cops aren't going to arbitrarily stop you for any little nonsense. And if you look ethnic, the cops are going to stop you for, a lot of times, for nothing. You know, just because it didn't happen to you doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, 
also included in this resource guide for teachers, there was some talk about four-year-olds, you know, to learn that LGBTQIA+, um, the idea being that all people deserve equality, dignity, and worth. Okay? Some of these little four-year-olds, they may come from a household with two mommies. What are you supposed to do? Tell them their mommies are bad? You know, push your own ideas on them? Again, free speech and all that works both ways. Uh, but Ivy's office sent a statement Friday, quote, Woke concepts that have zero to do with a proper education and that are divisive at the core have no place in Alabama classrooms at any age level, let alone with our youngest learners. We want our children to be focused on the fundamentals such as reading and math. Okay, GOP and the bigots of the GOP, they are using the children as the excuse for censorship. They're using the children as the excuse to criminalize free speech that they don't approve of, to criminalize free association that they don't approve of. Now, uh, Ivy's office went on to say, quote, Alabama's first class pre-K is the best in the country, and those children are too critical of a juncture in their educational journeys and development to get it wrong. I thank Dr. Cooper for his service, but I believe it is best we continue this historically strong program on its forward trajectory under new leadership. Okay. Keep in mind, Dr. Cooper was actually appointed by Ivy for that position in 2020. Again, whether or not Alabama has first-class pre-K being the best in the country remains to be seen. I haven't heard that. Alabama's educational system is near the bottom. But you know what? I'll check it out for next time. But the idea that you can't have divisive stories told in school, well, that's what history is. I mean, this reminds me of the allegory of the cave, you know, where you have these people in the cave, and the cave is dark, so they're functionally blind. And they they encounter this creature, and their perception of that creature is radically different depending on where they are in this dark cave until they get out into the light and see the truth. Okay, see the whole thing, in other words, not just subjective truth. Um, I mean, sub, uh, not just subjective subjective ideas and this reminds me of that all right you've got religious fundamentalists that are so threatened by modernity they can't handle it and if they want to stay you know segregated they can but they have no right to force that limitation on the rest of us that's what i'm saying okay so once again, the organization that ha that offered this teacher resource book, the you know the National Association for the Education of Young Children, they did issue a statement, and they said the following quote: For nearly four decades, and in partnership with hundreds of thousands of families and educators, developmentally appropriate practice has served as a foundation for high quality early childhood education across all states and communities. While not a curriculum, it is a responsive, educator-developed, educator-informed, and research-based resource that has been honed over multiple generations to support teachers in helping all children thrive and reach their full potential. Building on the good work that is happening in states and communities, 
NAEYC looks forward to continuing its partnership with families, educators, and policymakers to further our shared goals of offering joyful learning environments that see, support, and reflect all children and their families. But apparently, that was just too much for KIV to handle. That's another example of the type of censorship that I'm talking about. Another type, and I have to watch our time very closely. Our, our caller finally gave up. Um, we have 43 minutes left. I don't know if we're going to get through this all. It is a, based on a piece that I did um, back in May, and it was about the Tennessee Three and how they've been expelled from the Tennessee uh, legislature. And it was published in Nation of Change. That's where I publish these days. And... Um, you know, the title was The Tennessee Three and the GOP War on Democracy Itself. Okay? And this is another example of this censorship, this attack on democracy itself as well as the First Amendment. Um, you know, Representative Justin Jones, uh, Representative Justin Pearson, and the third representative, what was her name? Come on now. I'm looking, I'm looking, I don't see it. She's a teacher, too. Um, My bad. Anyway, um, they stood up to the bigots in Tennessee, and they were talking about, this was after the the shooting at at the Tennessee Elementary School, and Justin Jones, Representative Justin Jones, issued, you know, this statement. He said, quote, we called on you all to ban assault weapons. And you respond with an assault on democracy, end quote. And, you know, I'm just going to read a bit from my piece. You know, the Tennessee House of Representatives has become one of the latest battlefields in the GOP war on dissent, free speech, and democracy itself. Metaphorically speaking, the gloves are off, and the GOP has brazenly announced that democracy has gone beyond its expiration date. By now, the entire nation knows how the Republican-dominated Tennessee House of Representatives, led by Speaker Cameron Sexton, expelled two members, Representative Justin Jones and Representative Justin Pearson, for daring to use their First Amendment free speech rights on the House floor, but the expulsion was more than that. Now, shortly after this happened, I'm going to stop for a second, they were uh, put back in, but let me go on. Representatives Pearson and Jones, now reinstituted, were additionally expelled for the specific offense of RWB, otherwise known as representing while black. Translation, white Republicans expelled two duly elected black representatives for being uppity. Racism was proudly on parade in the Tennessee House, and the GOP war on democracy has gone viral. Okay. Now, Representative Speaker Cameron Sexton offered an asinine excuse, you know, basically saying that, um, you know, they had somehow violated the decorum of things. Now, uh, and I'll just read this. Representative Cameron Sexton, Speaker Cameron Sexton offered the asinine excuse of January 6th reciprocity as justification for the expulsions on the Halloran Hilton radio show. Quote, two of the members, Representative Jones and Representative Johnson, actually with Pearson, have been very vocal about January 6th in Washington, D.C., about what it was and what they did today was equivalent, at least equivalent, maybe worse, depending on how you look at it, of doing an insurrection in the Capitol, end quote. Now, Sexton's erroneous analysis was not only in response to the expulsion, 
but also to massive protests at the Tennessee State Capitol days after the tragic shooting deaths at Covenant School in a suburb of Nashville on March 27th. Children, some as young, some as, young as three, and their parents marched on the Tennessee Capitol demanding a higher level of gun control. Apparently, Sexton and his GOP colleagues were deeply offended by dissenters sporting diapers and wielding life-threatening Barbies. Six-year-old Marco Vincenzo Warbington demonstrated far more maturity than the Republican speaker as he explained, I am in kindergarten and I go to Schwab Elementary. Why was little Marco there? He knew why. Three, got, three kids got killed in a school. Okay. It should be noted that the Covenant school shooter managed to fire 152 rounds in the school during the murderous rampage, and yet Tennessee Republicans remain steadfast in their opposition to any reasonable gun control legislation. Subsequently concerned, parents, teachers, and children marched on the Capitol. So this is the Children's Crusade protest that represents Pearson, Jones, and Johnson. Uh, Johnson was the, the third one, uh, uh, white woman, supported and actively joined. This is the Children's Crusade protest that enraged Speaker Sexton and his fellow Jim Crow Republicans. So as children flooded the House chambers, and it goes on and on and on, okay, um, Pearson said children dying is business as, as, as normal. Um, the, ex the reason I'm talking about this, the expulsions for the crime of speaking, whether they violated decorum or not, violates both the U.S. and the Tennessee constitutions. They're an egregious violation of the First Amendment. What does the Constitution have to say? According to Article 4, Section 4, quote, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. Also, Speaker Cameron Sexton violated the Tennessee State Constitution regarding Article 2, Section 27, and it read that, quote, any member of either house of the General Assembly shall have liberty to dissent from and protest against any act of resolve which he may think injurious to the public or to any individual and have the reasons for his dissent entered on the journals. Okay. This is why I'm talking. They, the Republicans in Tennessee violated not only the U S constitution, first amendment, but also their own Tennessee state level constitution because they couldn't have dissent. They couldn't have, um, progressives calling them out on their hypocrisy and on their, on the GOP attack on democracy itself. This is a GOP war on the First Amendment. Um, it also happened to Representative Zoe Zephyr. They were all guilty of breaking decorum because they dared to use their First Amendment rights. Um, you know, again, this is, there's no question the expulsions are an unconstitutional attack on free speech, but the decorum defense, it's not only vapid, but it's part of a legislative war sponsored by the GOP against the Bill of Rights and democracy itself. And the paper trails blatant. It leads all the way up to the Supreme Court of 1966 in a case called Bond v. Floyd. And this is when Julian Bond uh, was first elected state representative to the Georgia House. I believe he was the first black man elected. Um, and basically, the Georgia House refused to seat him. Their alleged objection was rooted in part to Bond's open endorsement of the um, of opposition to the Vietnam War. Bond went to court. He prevailed. The Supreme Court decided that Bond's disqualification violated his free speech and free expression rights under the First Amendment. And in a unanimous decision, Chief Justice Warren wrote, quote, 
legislators have an obligation to take positions on controversial political questions so that their constituents can be fully informed by them and be better able to assess their qualifications for office. Okay, so it goes on and on. Also, they may be representing governmental debate, debates by the person they've elected to represent them. So it goes on, but you get the idea here. And this isn't more. You've got There's more here. You've got Governor Ron DeSantis running for president, who's directly attacking free speech rights. All right? Um, and we're going to go to that next. Okay? Um, so Ron DeSantis' War on Wokeness. This is a piece written by Ian Milheiser. It was in Vox. The headline is, Ron DeSantis' War on Wokeness is a War Against the First Amendment. I'm going to check our time here. We've got 35 minutes. We're not going to get through all this today. Um, so to let you know, Ian Milheiser, not only is a senior correspondent at Vox, but he has a law degree from Duke University. He's the author of two books on the Supreme Court. He is very well versed on these issues. Mm. Thirsty here. So, you know, you've got so much going on in Florida, and Ron DeSantis is working feverishly to prove that he's actually more racist, more misogynistic, more overall bigoted than Donald Trump. And if it's falling flat, it's not because the conservatives don't like what he has to say. It's because he just doesn't bring the charisma factor of Trump. Make no mistake about it, all right? The MAGA crowd is about a few things, in my opinion. They're about massive fascism, okay? This is, they hate democracy, at least liberal democracy. They hate the idea of equal rights for all. These are people, they want to go back to the bad old days where white Christian males had more rights than anyone else. White Christian straight males, anyway. Make no mistake about it. People of color and women and gay and trans people, they don't have hardly any rights. This is what they want. There, there's, no, there's no guesswork here. And they're using the children as their shield. The children are the excuse to embrace fascism. We're going to protect the children. Well, you know, last time I checked, they talk about parents' rights, but it's also parents' responsibility to protect their children. It's not my job. It's the parents' job. Okay? So, you know, you have Ron DeSantis, who ironically is an Ivy League trained attorney himself. He knows better. Um, This piece was written in January. He appointed Christopher Rufo, who is the architect over the critical race theory panacea um, and Rufo's. Christopher Rufo isn't actually qualified to be ahead of educating anyone. He was a documentary filmmaker. That's it. Okay. But he's the one that's been put on that and on the board of New College, which is was a liberal school, and now they want to turn it into something like Hillsdale College, which, you know, basically teaches white Christian fascism. Just going to say it. Um, and DeSantis has just open contempt for the First Amendment, at least everything except religious liberty. And when they say religious liberty, they mean liberty for those who are white Christian fundamentalists, not for anyone else. Okay? Now, 
DeSantis has signed quite a bit of unconstitutional legislation into being. Um, and this is as documented by Vox as well. One of them is, you know, punishing the Disney company. Now, typically, while it's been said that the Disney company isn't entitled to um, basically a special governance privilege, and it's true, they're not. Okay, the state of Florida decided, you know, that they would have these special governance privileges. Disney wasn't attacked for that. Disney was attacked because, according to DeSantis, quote, they tried to attack me to advance their woke agenda, end quote, as documented by the New York Times.com. But what it was really about is Disney dared to criticize and disagree openly with Ron DeSantis. So the, the, the actual law he imposed, that's why it was unconstitutional, because it was about punishing um, punishing a segment of society for disagreeing, for the content of their speech, and that's clearly unconstitutional. DeSantis assigned legislation imposing speech codes on university professors, um, as well as legislation that would try to seize control of content moderation at online sites such as YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. He attacks classroom teachers with vague unconstitutional laws uh, against LGBTQ people, as well as critical race theory. He threatens drag performers with criminal charges. I don't know. Maybe little Ronnie's jealous because, you know, let's face it, RuPaul's prettier than him. I don't know. Um, but DeSantis, you know, when he was reelected, pledged to, quote, fight the woke in the legislature, fight the woke in the schools, and fight the woke in the corporations. But that's not a governor's job. In fact, it's an unconstitutional attack on the First Amendment. Again, you would think an Ivy League trained attorney would know that. So, you know, once again, one of DeSantis' lawyers clarified the work woke means, quote, the belief there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them, end quote. So, so apparently DeSantis, not only DeSantis, but his lawyers are saying that we don't, well, those of us outside of them, we don't have the right to say that, well, there are systemic injustices, even if there's proof of it, Okay. That's basically not only wanting a speech police, but wanting to, arrest, to theoretically arrest anyone guilty of the specific crime what? Otherwise known as thinking? So, once again, this is what DeSantis has been pushing, and it is a, a dangerous, you know, dangerous thing. Uh, we have another caller. I will try to get to them. I don't know if we will. Um, you know, what DeSantis has done does violate the First Amendment. The government cannot punish critics for their speech, for the content of their speech. Um, they can't, as the Federal Appeals Court explained, seize control of content moderation of online sources. They can have some say over what teachers and professors say in their classrooms to some degree. Now, here's where I disagree. All right, If you're in K-12 through and you're dealing with minor children, okay, it gets a little more ticklish. But when you're dealing with university professors, most of their students are legally adults. It doesn't matter what their parents think. It really doesn't. Uh, it's just nonsense. Um, you know, so that type of censorship should never apply. Um, but, you know, once again, this is DeSantis versus the First Amendment. Now, according to Milheiser, there's three main issues with that. Number one, um, Florida's laws attacking Disney and trying to gain control over social media, you know, controlling what they can and can't say, 
those laws are clearly unconstitutional. So that's number one. That's the second point is laws like Florida's Don't Say Gay Law and the Stop Woke Act, those impose speech restrictions on public school teachers and professors. Now, here, whether it's unconstitutional or not, those points are more nuanced, according to Milheiser. Um, you know, it, it, it's going to be dependent on a lot of contextual things. Uh, as a general rule, though, states, they have the power to write school curriculums and to require instructors to follow those curriculums. But the Supreme Court has also said that laws governing classroom instruction, they can't be so vague that people of, quote, common intelligence must necessarily guess as its meaning and differ as to its application, end quote. And the Don't Say Gay Law and the Stop Woke Act, they fit into that category. They're so vague, you have to guess at their meaning. And then there's a third point, and it consists of actions that use governmental institutions to promote a specific viewpoint, in this case, conservative viewpoint, but without suppressing speech. So, you know, can DeSantis appoint conservative jerks like Chris Rufo? Yes, he can, okay? Um, but can DeSantis punish people or groups who criticize elected officials? No, they cannot. That's why the, the Disney uh, action was really unconstitutional. The Supreme Court's in Hartman v. Moore, quote, Official reprisal for protected speech offends the Constitution because it threatens to inhibit exercise of the protected right, end quote. Okay? And that was in 2006. So, you know, getting back to the whole Disney thing about this punishment, the government doesn't have to offer a special tax break to a big corporation. Okay, it can take it away if they decide, well, no, you're not entitled to that tax break. What it can't do, however, is strip the tax break away to punish that group for its First Amendment protected speech. And that's what DeSantis did, put bluntly. Okay, there's, you know, the evidence is compelling, according to Milheiser, that Florida did this to punish Disney for criticizing DeSantis policies. That's it. All right, doesn't like, matter if you don't like it, it's just the truth. Okay, so I'm going to check our time here because we're running short. Um, this is really a frightening time. So I don't know if we're going to get through everything today. This is, looks like it's going to be a two-piece type thing. I'm going to see what this caller has to say. Okay, is it working? Hello, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, I can't hear you. Hello. I'm. A, I can't hear you. Okay. Well, we're wasting time, so goodbye. Okay. We're not playing that game. All right. I don't know if they had a problem with audio or whatever, but I'm not going to waste time. We have 24 minutes left. Oh, Lord, today I planned too much. That's the problem. Mm. So let's talk about the Don't Say Gay Law. It targets classroom instruction uh, relating to sexual orientation or gender identity as well as the Stop Woke Act. Stop Woke Act, in some ways, I think is far worse. Um, it has a speech code. All right? It is true censorship. 
Now, the Don't Say Gay law prohibits, quote, classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity prior to the fourth grade, end quote. And it requires all instruction to be, quote, age-appropriate, developmentally appropriate, in accordance with state standards, yada, yada, yada. The problem is it doesn't actually define those terms. You know, and it gives the example, what if a female teacher has a wife and she casually references her wife during a lesson? Did she violate the law? The, tr- the Stop Woke Act is, lo- is worse. The Stop Woke has a list of eight concepts, not just K-12, but professors can only discuss in an objective manner and without endorsement of the concepts. Now, objective is not just slippery, according to Milheiser, it's slippery. I'm going to say it's worse than that. There's no such thing as 100% objectivity. Even in, let's say, a medical or scientific double-blind study with strict controls, you are never going to have 100% objectivity. There's always going to be some level of bias that creeps in even unintended. That being said, you know, this idea saying you can't, you can't mention any of this stuff. Um, and when people talk about how, well, you know, we're a colorblind society, and there are people that really believe that's a good idea. Some of them know it's a con. Some of them don't. They, I, they naively believe that it's not a problem. The problem with the colorblind argument, if you will, is that it freezes the discussion to the status quo. And it freezes the discussion to the status quo so there's no mention of historic systemic racism, systemic misogyny, and so on. Essentially, it lets white Christian men off the hook, and it ignores history. And this idea that you can't talk about divisive concepts and, and you can't make people feel uncomfortable, well, newsflash, the ability to feel discomfort is exactly what's needed for the formation of something called a conscience. And, you know, the whole thing's absurd. All right? It, it just is. This is basically pure government censorship and nothing else. Um and it is so reminiscent, as I've said before, of the laws that were imposed in the early days of the Third Reich. You know, people don't understand Hitler's rise to power ending in the concentration and the death camps didn't start with the concentration of the death camps. It started with censorship of teachers and university professors. It started with censorship in the schools. It started with speech codes. It started with targeting intellectuals for all sorts of problems. That's what it started with. And it is incredibly dangerous. And, you know, that's why you get insane stories like, you know, the one school uh, administrator who said, well, if you're going to teach about the Holocaust, then you have to talk about the positive side of it. What positive side? There is no positive side. Or, according to Milheiser, a professor would have to, what, equate someone like Dr. Martin Luther King and say that, you know, a professor couldn't say that Dr. Martin Luther King was, say, morally superior to white segregationist Bull Connor. Or according to Milheiser, a professor couldn't say that white French President Emmanuel Macron is morally superior to Cambodian dictator Paul Pot. 
okay? Or that Nobel, and I'm reading straight from this, or that Nobel Peace Prize winner Malala Yousafzai, a woman, is morally superior to serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, a man. Right? That's how ludicrous this gets, because this really isn't about telling the truth. This isn't about protecting children. This is about erasing history to a status quo where the idea of white Christians and white Christian straight men, that they are the end-all, be-all for everything. Okay, I'm going to be 64 in August, and I remember growing up, watching TV, the first time that a black actor or actress had a regular role in a TV series that I recall was a series called Julia, Diane Carroll. She played a nurse, and it was considered really, you know, you know, really out there. It's a good show, actually. The point is, people of color, religious minorities, and so on, we rarely saw people that looked like us or had experiences we had. You know, instead we got Brady Bunch film, which wasn't the reality at all. So this is what we're dealing with here. And the true danger here isn't the vague laws that DeSantis pushed. The true danger is if someone like DeSantis or Trump gets somebody who's actually smart on his team, if they pass laws that actually aren't so vague, and then they appoint more Supreme Court judges like Alito and Clarence Thomas that are clearly ethically compromised. I'll just say it, they're crooked. They've been bought and paid for by billionaires. Or just plain bigots like, you know, Amy Coney Barrett. And then we will have dictatorship from the bench. That's what we're dealing with. Okay. And it is something that we really need. And, you know, and they're not going to be bothered by the Constitution getting in their way. Keep in mind, the Constitution used to allow slavery. That's hardly justice. And all the while, one of the last things I want to talk about is how mainstream read corporate media attempts to normalize this. And that should never be. They should hang their heads in shame. And that the latest uh, incarnation of normalizing this came from Moms for Liberty. Now, according to Southern Poverty Law Center, Moms for Liberty has been actually classified as a hate group. Okay? It's a far-right organization. I'm reading straight from the SPLC's uh, page. Moms for Liberty, quote, is a far-right organization that engages in anti-student inclusion activities and self-identifies as part of the modern parental rights movement. The group grew out of opposition to public health regulations for COVID-19, opposed LGBTQ plus and racially inclusive school curriculum, and has advanced book bans, end quote. You know, in the past, you know, the, the same group has referred to the National Teachers Union, NEA, as a cartel. Um, they have accused teachers of being either groomers or pedophiles themselves uh, and they have actually tweeted and used quotes from Hitler about you know whoever controls the youth controls the future okay and they don't like being called out on it but 
you know, it's the truth. Um, so we will probably talk about this another time because we're running out of time. But once again, um, Moms for Liberty has been given a pass by the corporate media. Now, there's a piece by Brett Wilkins in Common Dreams. Um, the headline is U.S. Corporate Media Accused of Normalizing the Hate Group Moms for Liberty. Uh, it goes on to say, quote, Moms for Liberty is linked with the Proud Boys. A chapter quotes Hitler. They are behind book bans. They are funded by right-wing groups. And ABC News calls them joyful warriors, wrote one observer. The whiteness of it all is exhausting, end quote. And ABC News, you know, Moms for Liberty was having a conference in Philly, in Philadelphia, and ABC News did this puff piece, okay, put bluntly. And, you know, that's it was written by, the puff piece was done by, let's see now. I'm looking for it, Shepard. Brittany Shepard. ABC News published an article by Brittany Shepard titled Moms for Liberty are Fired Up in Philadelphia. Um, and Brittany Shepard, among other things, wrote, wrote in her lead, quote, they call themselves joyful warriors, but this group of conservative moms are mad. Okay. What the hell was Brittany Shepard thinking? Now, Brittany Shepard is a woman of color, but apparently she sold out. And again, the cover-up leading up to the Holocaust was the same way, where the newspapers covered it up. They gave, they did puff pieces. Okay, that's the bottom line right there. And whether it's ABC News, CBS, CNN, and Fox, they've all been normalizing this group, and they shouldn't be. Okay, they just shouldn't be. Um. Again, Moms for Liberty has been designated an extremist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, you know, it, it's it's pretty outrageous here. Okay. So there was an interview by MSNBC's Nicole Wallace. There was an ex- uh, she was talking to an extremism expert named Christopher Goldsmith. Um, and Goldsmith was urging viewers to spread the word about what Moms for Liberty is really about. And Goldsmith said the following, quote, we are talking about book burnings. We're talking about racism. We're talking about persecuting the LGBTQ community. These are the proud boys with a wig and lipstick. That is all they are. And because of the words Moms for Liberty, not a lot of people are going to understand that. Um, so he added, so folks watching this need to be evangelists, right? You need to get out, out, lo- Get out online, talk to your friends about what Moms for Liberty is, and help them understand that they are a pipeline into the most radical extremism in this country. Okay? Now, in all fairness, there was, I think, a rabbi that was at this conference, and it was Yaakov Mencken, something like that. And he was saying how Moms for Liberty, how could they be anti-Semitic? They gave them a kosher meal. Well, the Jewish community, speaking as a Jew myself, we are not monolithic. All right? And the Orthodox don't speak for all of us at all. Uh, subsequently, you know, that's this, what the rabbi was saying. It's the same nonsense as saying, well, you know, if radical Christian fundamentalists are pro-Israel, how can they be anti-Semitic? 
Well, it's possibly possible to be pro-Israel and be rabidly anti-Semitic. One has nothing to do with the other. Okay, and we'll get into that another time. Okay, so this is what we're dealing with, and we didn't get to everything this week, and I apologize. We will be next week, however. Um, next week we may wind up doing a split show where the first hour is the environmental justice report talking about the climate emergency, and the second half would be PNN talking about this emerging Nazism and how we have to stand up to it. Okay? We just do. So now let me get on to this here. Um, yeah, we'll get into it another time. Uh, we'll get into the fact that Chris Hadjis, who is a renowned um, journalist, um, has not only wrote a book called Christian Fascism, but um, you know he has written about the idea of Christian fascism, and he doesn't use the word lightly. From an article he published in Salon, uh, Hadjis explained how his father was a Presbyterian minister. His mother was a seminary graduate, and that Hedges himself received a Master of Divinity from Harvard Divinity School and is an ordained Presbyterian minister. Um, but he did write a book titled American Fascist, the Christian Right, and the War on America. Um, and he's an honest broker, okay? I, not just Christian Right, I would add ultra-Orthodox Jews to the same mix. Um, so this is what we're dealing with. And we're going to have to, you know, deal with this. Um, one of the things that Hedges pointed out is that as the Nazis were rising to power in Germany, they never pulled above 37% in free elections. And that's as documented by johndeclair.net, Weimar 6. Um, and he, Hedges reminded people Christian fascists are less than a third of the U.S. electorate. But Hedges pointed out the following, quote, fascists win power by creating parallel institutions and seizing the internal security organs and the judiciary. They don't need a majority, end quote. And that's precisely what's happening, folks. You need to be very, very frightened of what's going on here. There is no excuse, but you just do. So uh, let's see now. We are going to move on now. Um, we were going to do My Little Margie. I don't think we're going to do that today. I just don't have time here. But uh, we will do one of my favorites. Give me a second here. And, again, we're skipping a few things today because we're running short on time. But we're going to do another Randy Rainbow here. So, and this one is Welcome to DeSantis. Let's see, the erudite functioning of Randy Rainbow. Okay, got to get rid of the commercial first. Sorry about that, folks. I'm not a tech person. Here we go.
<laughs> All righty, that's our show for today. I hope that you learned something. I hope you enjoyed it. We will be talking next week, unless something else happens in the news. Uh, we will be talking more about the Republican war on democracy and the First Amendment and what we can do to fight it. So next week, unless something else happens, we're going to be talking about probably the first hour will be the environmental justice report, and we're going to be talking about the climate emergency and how both parties, Republican and Democrat, are AWOL, all right? The fact is this planet is dying, and the kids are right, and we have to do something about it. Um, the second part will be Progressive News Network again, and once again, we will talk about this war on democracy again. So, you know, in terms of final thoughts, you know, some people, some of us thought that all these old battles were done with, but they weren't. And, you know, when you can't get somebody to talk about what they really think, you have to question their uh, their motives. You know, somebody that won't talk politics, you can't afford to really trust. So, anyway, with that I say uh, good night and bless you by whatever you believe in or don't believe in. As for me, <laughs> I intend to continue to be what an old friend called feisty. And I intend to keep taking them, my little feisty self and attacking the hypocrites of the GOP, questioning what they're doing and attacking and, and basically fighting back against their war on democracy. With that, I say good night and God bless us.